Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and back by popular demand. By way of his law firm, the Consumer Rights Advocacy Firm, he is an attorney. He is a specialist when it comes to credit, credit reports, identity theft. He is a professor at the Florida State University. He is my friend, Jared Lee. Jared, welcome back to the Loan Officer Podcast. Dustin, it is great to be here. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super stoked that we get to do this. And we teased this episode. You and I, a few episodes back, did an episode, which we basically titled something along the lines of how to avoid credit repair scams. And there's certain things that we were uh, letting the audience know, hey, look out for this, look out for this. Like one thing that I think you and I talked about that day off camera, but never on camera, is you're like, oh man, we should have shared with them. If they're making promises, that should be a red flag. It is. Promises that, that you can do something specific with someone's credit is against the law. It's a red flag. Okay. So there we go. Add that to your notes if you were going back and transcribing all the nuggets that Jared dropped a few episodes back when you're dealing with people who focus or specialize in quote unquote credit repair, be very mindful if they're trying to A, collect money up front and B, if they're making promises as it pertains to results. Right. Okay, good. That's good to know. Um, we're going to jump right into today. We did, we did it last time. I loved it. You jumped right into that episode. I was like, all right, cool. Let's do this. Like we're here for business. We're here for business. People want to know identity theft. I know this is probably, if I were to guess, is this the bulk of the work that your firm is doing these days? It is. And we, we see a lot of people that are dealing with identity theft issues. It is the fastest growing crime in the United States. Uh, just last year, I think 1.4 million people reported identity theft to the FTC. That is just those that reported to that agency, not counting all of the local police reports that were filed. Uh, you're about twice as likely in Florida to be the victim of identity theft as you are to be in a car accident. So figure that one out. So Florida is the third most populous state in the union. Yeah. There are lots of drivers. There are old people, right, who yeah. might not be the best drivers. There's New Yorkers who might not be the best drivers or worse, an old person from New Jersey <laughs> who might not be the best drivers. And you're still two times more likely to have to be a victim of identity theft than you already get in a car accident. That is absurd. Not not killed in a car accident, just in a car accident. Right. That is absurd. Like, that is absurd. That is why I wouldn't let us go down that rabbit hole the previous episode, because I want to do a whole entire episode on identity theft. Theft? Thief. Theft. Theft. It's theft. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually a show, a movie called Identity Theft. Mm. Um, a buddy of mine from high school got to play the cashier in that movie. Really? Shout out to Carlos Navarro. Yep. That's very cool. Yep. Carlos Navarro uh, is, is an actor. He's a local guy. He and I went to Lyman High School together. We did TV production together. And he has been an actor for the past 20 years. And uh, that was one of one of his one of his roles. Now, most recently, he's been in Hawkeye, that new movie, the new Marvel movie. Mm. He plays um, one of the tracksuit mafia. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So anyhow, yes, there is a movie called called uh, Identity Theft, but we're not going to talk about the movie. We're going to talk about what Jared does for a living as an attorney representing clients who are victims of identity theft. And I think I want to start almost think of a story arc, if, if you're okay with this. Absolutely. I want to figure out what are some things we can do to avoid identity theft? 
So there are some some practices that that will help you avoid identity theft. And and I will caveat identity theft is almost inevitable. Almost everyone's going to deal with it in some form. Um, but um, in being careful where you put your identity information, particularly um, online, make sure you deal with reputable companies, reputable websites. Um, look for uh, at the beginning of that web address the HTTP. Uh, you're looking for an S after that HTTPS, and if that's not there, then the website you're dealing with is is does not have a secure connection. Your information can be uh, ambushed along the way. Um, then you know don't throw out information, particularly if you live in you know areas where your trash is combined with a lot of other people's trash. Um, don't throw out information that has your full social security uh, on it or account numbers, things of that nature. So if I'm still old school and I still get investment statements sent to my house, yeah. how about my mortgage statement that's sent to my house? I don't know if it has my social on it, but it definitely has some pertinent information like my loan number and my property address and my interest rate and how much I currently owe. Are you saying don't put that stuff in my recycle bin or don't put that in my garbage can? Best to shred it before you do. Interesting. Okay. Um, the website, you answered my question. You're like, well, make sure you go to a safe website. I'm like, bro, how do I know what a safe website is? Like I go to websites for sports. I go to websites for like, you know, gambling. I don't really go to websites that, or Amazon, yeah. which Amazon I would hope would be safe. I've never checked for the S. Yeah. Like I, I know I help run a mortgage company and we have an S. Right. If you're going to apply online, it has to be super duper encrypted and coded and safe. But you said that would be a good rule of thumb. I know I'm working with a quote unquote safe website. If it's HTTPS, not just HTTPS. I, I won't go that far. Okay. I'm just going to say that that's the easiest thing to check. Scammers can yes. mimic that as well. But, you know, there's... That's the starting point uh, just to prevent the information in transit in the internet from getting intercepted. What about like, should I use my debit card more and use my credit card less if I'm trying to avoid um, actually being, you know, you, being stolen or hacked? You actually have more protections on your credit card than you do your debit card. Okay. So they have similar, there are laws that govern uh, how disputes are handled with both of those cards, but you actually have more protections using a credit card than you do your debit card. All right. So the couple times that I've been compromised, it's been at gas stations. Yes. Um, so I have credit cards. I have an Amex. I have a Visa. It's probably not safe to say that. Is it safe to say that I have an Amex and a Visa? I probably shouldn't even tell people that information about me. People can probably guess. Okay. And I have American Express and I have uh, uh, Discover and I have Diner's Choice if they even still do Diner's <laughs> Choice or whatever it used to be. I have it all, guys. Um, no, but when I go to pay for gas, I, I'm not going to go to the cashier. Yeah. Okay. Done with that. Although right now with gas prices being so high, they're like, hey, you get cheaper gas if you take it into the cashier. I'm like, no, nah, I'll pay the higher amount and let me just use my credit card. Wait. Three cents off the five dollar a gallon gas. Yeah, you know, three cents times twenty gallons is sixty cents. Yeah, I can't, can't even buy an airhead with that. Yeah, yeah, they can keep my sixty cents, and I'm gonna go ahead and 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 use it. But should I swipe? Should I chip? Should I tap? Uh, is there a difference? Does it matter? Uh, there is a difference. Um, swiping is your least secure mechanism. Um, I personally prefer tap, and and those tap transactions. Uh, have a unique identifier that even if someone does intercept that that number, they can't utilize it again for another transaction. 
but chip chip is more um, secure than swipe and and then you know tap is I, I think in my opinion the most secure yeah something I I think you shared with me off camera if you have to swipe then before you swipe kind of grab at the swiper if yeah. you're talking about at, at the gas pump and jiggle it right kind of pull on it and jiggle it right yeah no there are skimmers that can be put on with a little adhesive and they they put that on there jiggle it if it's loose don't use it yeah, I mean, I, I am literally have three times as my credit card. And luckily, um, I'll shout these people out. Shout out to Chase because their fraud protection is pretty on point. And I get phone calls. Yeah. And sometimes it's very annoying because once I was on vacation and they're like, hey, Mr. Owen, are you also in Youngstown, Ohio, spending $300? I'm like, nope, I'm not even close to Youngstown, Ohio. Never been there, never planned to go there. Unless my buddy Jesse Giacomo invites me and then maybe I'll go. Um, that's kind of, he's a, in Warren, Ohio. I think it's pretty yeah. close to Youngstown, but nonetheless, I digress. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's annoying when, when I use the swiper and then someone swipes me, yeah. Dora swipers, swiping. <laughs> but I, I get swiped and then all of a sudden my credit card's being shut down. Luckily, knock on wood, let me find some wood to knock on. Luckily, knock on wood. I don't think it's ever progressed farther than that. Yeah. So that probably leads me to my, I think I know the answer to this. What should I be doing on an annual basis to make sure that I'm not a victim of identity theft? The most important thing you can do is pull your credit reports regularly and check them. Uh, and so there is a website that was created as a result of uh, uh, the, the Fair Credit Reporting Act and, and the FTC uh, called annualcreditreport.com. And you can get your uh, reports from the big three, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion by going to that website, providing some information, verifying your identity. Um, and that is a safe website to put your identity information into. And then, so they're gonna give me a report and then I need to go through that report and look for anything that's not me. Right. Addresses, names, phone numbers, accounts. Accounts are the biggest, but those other things can be a sign that you are um, starting to, like someone might be starting to um, establish accounts in your name or your information may be mixed up with someone else. Now we say, um, cause I've looked at my credit report and like there was a time I lived with my mom's cousin, Denise. And by the way, shout out Denise, thank you. That was a really awesome six weeks of my life living in West Palm Beach on the golf course, got to fish in the pond every day, catch these massive bass. But so when I pull my credit report, although that was, gosh, 20 years ago, I still see that address. But that was my address at one point. Yeah. Or I see my in-laws address when I stayed with them for a bit. Um, my wife and I did this really weird thing early on in our career. We were constantly moving as we were like, you know, chasing job opportunities. And because she was a school teacher, she always had to stay back and finish out the school year. I guess right. she didn't have to, but she did. That was the responsible thing to do. So then when, when I would move first and luckily I'll just look for friends or family and I'd shack up with them or for four or six weeks until she could finish out the school year. Um, so when I see those types of addresses, I shouldn't freak out. No. But no. In, in fact, you're going to see a lot of addresses. Um, but do if you, you know, if there are variations of your address um, or addresses you're just not familiar with, d definitely worth disputing those. Okay. But the big thing is I'm looking for something that just ain't mine. Right. Like, whoa, what is yeah. that? I don't have a C-do. Yeah. Yeah. Or what? I, ready, I, I don't have a diner's club card. Right. Why do I show a diner's club card? Um, okay. What do you see? So let's just jump right into it. I do see something. I see some things. I see two, three, four things and they're maxed out and they're in collection. 
and my credit score, if I were to get it, is going to be in the dumps. What's the first thing I do? Um, the first thing I tell people is to start keeping records and taking notes. Um, and I, you, you'd start doing that, but then the next thing and the most important thing probably is to get a police report or to file an FTC identity theft report. Uh, my LE friends, right, my law enforcement friends are going to appreciate when I say this. Guys and girls, don't call 911. Yes. Do not call. This is not an emergency, right? There is a number to your local police precinct that you could Google. The non-emergency the line. The non-emergency line. Call them. They have a team that does this for a living. They know the drill and they will come out to your home and they, they will take a report because that is one of the first things that I've recognized and understood that is going to be required. Right. Um, but then you added also make sure you start taking copious notes. Yeah. Like just of everything. Everything. Like, hey, just, just start journal. A, start journaling. Every start activity. journaling everything you do, every representative you talk to. Uh, every step you take to investigate or deal with it, start taking notes. Um, and uh, yeah, so don't, like you said, don't call 911. It's not that kind of emergency, but do take it seriously, um, you know, if you start seeing that stuff. Now, do try to figure out if it is identity theft before you show up and say it's identity theft. And the worst thing is you you don't want to file a false police report and go down there and say, hey, this is identity theft. And then, you know, two days later, you figure out, oh, yeah, that's the credit card I used in college. Oh, or I was thinking, or my wife's been wilding out behind my back and I just need to actually go get myself one of those marriage counselors because she just went and racked up a whole bunch of debt that I didn't know about. Um, and we got some issues. Spousal identity theft is a major issue. Now, is that a crime? It is. It is a crime. Look at that. I was only trying to be kind of funny. Like, I know of, I have, I mean, look, you originate loans for 20 years. One of the best things that, that anyone who's entering into this particular career, if you want to become a mortgage loan originator, what I loved is it allowed me to see what the Joneses were up to. Yeah. It let me it let me see inside of their closets. It let me figure out that, wait a minute, I don't want to keep up with the Joneses. No. So you get to see it on here at all. It actually makes you feel a little bit better about your own messy life because you're like, oh, we're all a hot mess. Okay, cool. And then if you're a, a person of decent intellect or you have some kind of aptitude, you can start learning not just from your own mistakes, but other people's. Right. And believe it or not, I have seen instances where, where spouses, for whatever reason, one, it was a mental illness, one, it was grieving the loss of a child. And all of a sudden there was a hundred thousand dollars of, of credit that had been extended. Yeah. And the one spouse didn't know the other spouse was doing it. And they thought it was identity uh, theft until it wasn't. But you're saying that is a, even though we're married, yeah. that, that that is a quote unquote crime. Someone can apply with your authority in your name but without your authority, yeah, that's that's an identity thief, and whether you're married to that person or not. Okay, so at what point do I call you, and I and I I, I ask for your help? I need your professional services. I need your help. And what is it that you're going to do? Because I've already done the police report. I've already started started journaling and taking copious notes. Yeah. What what is the uh, consumer rights advocacy firm going to do for me? Well, we're happy to talk to people at any stage of this process. But when you really need an attorney is when you have gone through the process of taking that police report, disputing the information with the credit reporting agencies, uh, and it's just not being handled. It's not coming off. They're they're verifying that information instead of saying instead of removing it, uh, and that's that's when you kind of hit the end of the road of what you can do on your own. Well, so I guess that's the pose is the real question. Who's the victim here? Is it me, 
or is it Walmart? Is it me or is it Sears if Sears is even still around? Yes. Like both? I mean, both. Okay. At the end of the day, they um, identity theft is generally framed in the framework of you and your identity being stolen. You're the victim. Um, but yes, it, financial institutions are most definitely the victim of identity theft. Now, many of them do to their own negligence in the application process and not mm-hmm. requiring enough information before they open accounts. But yes, you are a victim of identity theft and that financial institution probably is as well. Is there ever a point when I am the victim that I will ever owe any of that money? No. 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 You do not owe inform- uh, you do not owe on an account that was opened without your authority. Um, and so you should not have to pay bills that you did not incur. What's the typical process to unwind the mess that's created from identity theft? It can be a process. Um, I, we certainly have seen some situations where it moves quickly and everything goes right. Um, there are protections under the Fair Credit Reporting Act that when you provide an identity theft affidavit and a police report, um, the credit reporting agencies uh, are supposed to block that account within four days. Okay. Um, but that just blocks it from future activity. Well, no, that blocks it from being seen on your credit. Okay. It should come off your credit within four days if it's identi- if the account is identified in the police report and you provide that to them. It should be immediately blocked unless then it can come back on once it's been verified by the furnisher. Um, but, yeah, you should be able to get it off your credit very quickly. Now, does that happen in reality? Uh, very, very, very rarely. I would guess. I mean, you and I did our previous show on how to avoid credit repair scammers. Yeah. I can only imagine if, if these people are following unscrupulous business practices or even maybe some unlawful business practices, my guess is those same people are given, quote unquote, advice to consumers that, oh, if you have something bad on your credit, even if it's yours, oh, just claim it was it was fraud. Just just, just claim it's identity theft. Yeah. Is that happening? That unfortunately is happening, but they're opening those people up who fall for that to criminal prosecution, perjury, filing false police reports. That that is a can of worms you do not want to open. Yeah. Are they actually going after the the, the perpetrators who are giving the bad advice as well as I mean look, at the end of the day, it's the consumer that filed that, that false police report. The consumer should know the difference of right and wrong, regardless if someone who advertises their services as being helpful is giving them that advice. But I'm just curious, are they going after both the consumer who filed the false police report and the person who gave the advice, or is it one's liable and not the other? Uh, The FTC does shut down uh, and sometimes criminally prosecute um, credit repair scams. Uh, They they don't nearly hit enough of them. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, there there is sometimes where those those people giving the bad advice are prosecuted, but it's much more likely that you, as the consumer, you you have a very clear cut case against you when you file that false report. Yep, no, it's the same advice I always give to someone who's filing a fraudulent tax return. Yeah, I'm like, and then they're always like, "Oh no, well, my accountant prepared it." I'm like, "Well, hey, was your accountant a CPA? Let's start there." Yeah, and then were they even an accountant or were they a tax preparer? And then you still signed your name to it. Like you still signed your name to it. And I'm pretty sure the IRS is going to point out that that's your name. You're attesting to that information. And if you went out and committed tax fraud because you wanted to avoid paying taxes, um, and these are things that you get to see, like when, when, and you're in the same boat I'm in, when you deal with 
thousands of consumers throughout a career and hundreds of new consumers on, on a monthly basis, and you're asking them for pertinent information, which means you get to pull their credit report and you get to look at their bank statements and, and you have to look at their tax returns, you start seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly. I see the ugly because I see it in, in credit repair, quote unquote, I call them scammers. Right. Uh, I also see it in tax preparation scammers mm -hmm. where both sides, and at the end of the day, they're, they're preying victim on ignorant consumers, not ignorant in a bad term, just in the Webster Dick dictionary, you know, it's like, look, you're uneducated in this particular subject matter. Right. You don't know any better, but unfortunately you sign your name to it stating you should have known better. Um, that's absolutely crazy. Let me ask you this. What's the most common identity theft, both in like what you see and then how are the scammers obtaining the information? So it's two commonalities. One, what's the most common way this, the, the, the thievery is happening? How are they gaining and accessing my information? Because we've talked about, are they going through my mail? Are they skimming at the, at the, the gas pump? Yeah. And then what is it that they're doing? Are they buying cars? Are they buying houses? Are they, are they taking out credit cards? What are the, the, the two most prevalent on both sides of the fence? So the most prevalent is an account takeover. You have a legitimate account and someone using your identity information is accessing that either to take money out of a depository account like checking savings uh, or in, in, the, in credit card uh, making charges that you didn't authorize. That's the most common. It's also often the easiest to deal with. Um, beyond that is new account fraud. Um, that's opening credit cards, opening loans. Uh, and, um, you know, we've seen everything from um, apartments being leased in someone's name uh, to situations where um, we've even seen one single auto dealership sell two cars in two weeks to a, um, an identity thief in, under someone's name. Interesting. So... So they apply for the loan, um, they get accepted, yeah. they buy the car, they have no intention of ever making payments on it. Yeah. I'm curious about the person who rents the apartment. I mean, do they just need a place to live for three months for free? Because at some point, would they not get evicted if they're not making the payment? Most likely, they're setting up a larger identity theft scheme where oh. they, need, they need an address associated with that person so that they can open additional accounts. Or they're running a lot of account information through there, and, and they just have someone that shows up, pulls the mail. Okay. I was, I was just thinking about this as you were explaining, man, if, if I was a scammer, I don't know how easy or hard this would be, but I would look for 1,000 Dustin Owens out there and I would just hit each one of their accounts for $50 at Publix or any of your local grocery stores where I purchased gift cards. Because I promise you, I know about how much money I spend at Publix. I'm not going to see that $150 charge. Yeah. Is that, are they doing that as well? Because I always think of the big stuff, like, oh, my God, I don't like I used the sea do analogy earlier or um, the, the diner's choice credit card that I don't have. But are they as sophisticated that they could nick five bucks from you and 50 from me and a dollar from John? Yes. And as long as they have a thousand people, you times that by I mean, it's, that's five thousand, ten thousand, fifty thousand dollars a month that they're bringing in in some form of a good or service or it could just be cash money. 
I mean, e even some legitimate companies are hitting you for $5 a month in places you don't know that you're uh, getting charged. Uh, and right. so certainly identity thefts will sometimes test the waters uh, and with small charges. They're generally doing that to um, access inf more information. Um, and to, to test, one, if, if your account is being closely monitored, and two, to get more access into your life. One of the, the um, things that identity thieves will do is try to get your credit report. They want to see the other accounts that are out there that they can target, and they want that personal identifying information that's on there. Uh, but the more long-term identity thieves will, will, will use um, small variations of your identity information to create a new synthetic identity based on you and your credit. Um, they'll change middle initials. They will alter your date of birth by a day or two uh, and try to create a new synthetic ID uh, and, and use that to open thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, of accounts. That would make sense. Like maybe, you know, the last digit of my social is a one and not a two or a three and not an eight. So, you know, so that most of the information is enough that the the credit approval process is one in which someone's like, oh, they just fat fingered that. Almost always they'll have another address. They don't want their um, account statements in your name coming to your mailbox. Okay. So w would that be the first thing I need to check then? It, it is like one that of the most important things to check is look at those addresses. If, if you have accounts, uh, the addresses on your credit report that aren't you, you there's a chance that some of the, those addresses are coming from your active accounts and in statements are going somewhere else. Are there any services out there like fraud prevention services that you actually recommend? Um, nothing replaces a consumer being vigilant on their own. Uh, That's a great answer. So certainly there are some tools that can help. Um, the, the credit reporting agency make tons and tons of money off consumers buying um, identity theft products and, and credit monitoring products to fix the problem that they create in the industry. And so um, am I saying that those products are all useless? No, um, but there is very little that they are doing that you can't do on your own. And your own vigilance is far more effective. When you say my own vigilance, are you going as far as if I really want to be on top of things, I journal every one of my expenses? I don't think that's necessary. Okay. Um, certainly, if you do and there is an issue, um, that that's helpful. It's great evidence as to you know you have you have a journal where you keep everything. That's the you know that's the book of truth that you can go to, and and that's good proof of that not being your charge assuming you're not missing stuff. But if you're inconsistent about that, it becomes a lot less, you know, convincing. Yeah, no, one of my my food for thought for people listening into this episode, and um, if this is your first time checking us out, thank you, by the way. Like, I don't know if you're on YouTube or if you're on Apple Podcasts or you're on Spotify, but we're on every platform where you can listen to podcasts. And we're also on YouTube. So if this is your first time, please like us, subscribe, uh, share, um, Reach out, connect. I'm on LinkedIn, Dustin Owen on on, on LinkedIn. He's Jared Lee. Uh, are you ESQ Esquire on LinkedIn? Do you, do you remember? I, I have to check. I don't yeah. know. Okay, I'll pull that up. Yeah, but he's Jared Lee L E E on on LinkedIn as well because yep. he and I he are connected that way. And John Coleman, who is my producer extraordinaire, he and I have a website called theloanofficerpodcast.com. Go figure. 
We're called the Loan Officer Podcast because at my core, I identify professionally as a mortgage loan originator, as a loan officer. Right. Now, anymore, do I fulfill that role? Probably not, right? I, I fulfill much larger roles, but in my heart of hearts, that's who I am. And it's also because I think everyone needs a good LO, a good loan officer in their back pocket because we know attorneys and we know financial advisors and yeah. we know chiefs of police and we know the hookup at the local um, uh, arena for tickets because these people are our clients, right? And and we don't just create clients in a one-time transaction, we create, create clients for life. Yeah. So I always tell people, look, you need an LO in your back pocket. We do episodes in shows like this for anyone who's looking to buy a house, who already owns a home, who finances homes for a living, or who sells homes for a living. Basically that encapsulates 80% of the American populace. One of our underlying themes, it's everything you should have learned in high school, but didn't because they don't teach it. Right. Like they don't teach what you and I are currently discussing in high school, right? At least for my 17 year old, who's getting ready to enter his senior year in high school. I can't remember once where he's come home and, and talked about how they taught prevention of identity theft right. or proper consumer behavior. Yeah. So like what I'm getting ready to share is just my own best practice. One of my favorite books ever written is by James Clear, it's Atomic Habits. Mm. I tend to Good only book. read nonfiction. And if I read something fictional, it's gonna be a historic biopic type, you know, or that would be a pick, but like, you know, biographical, what do they call that? Like it's, um, it's like a historical fiction, Yeah. right? So it's kind of fact-based. But anyhow, in Atomic Habits, it's, it's the best book to read because it teaches you how to create habits. A good habit to create is every week, log into your accounts. Every week you should be logging. I don't think you have to do it daily. You're really having that many purchases, but every week log in and just look at them. The, the very minimum and the vast majority of people don't do this is when your monthly statement comes, take 10 minutes and check it. Yes, review it. Like this is your hard earned money. This is also your hard earned identity. Right. And to just let that be you know, open to the world. Um, but you know, so many of us get caught up in our automation Oh, it just automatically gets gets auto drafted. ACH out of my. I'm like, well, that's the problem. If especially if you weren't born in the 70s or 80s, yeah. and you were born in the 90s, and everything that you've done is electronic. See, look, I'm born in 78, old school. I still am used to, or had to get used to, keeping a ledger at one time, yeah. right? I had to get used to writing checks at one time and reviewing my credit card statements when they came in the mail. Now I still have to review them because I look at them for expense reimbursement. Right. My job is one in which I put a lot of business expenses on my personal credit cards. So when those when those statements come, I need to review it to make sure that I submit for the right reimbursements. But what I found is the proper habit that works for me is I log in every Monday. Yeah. Like just part of my routine every Monday. You know, I'm, I'm checking things like, oh, I'm curious what my stock account did today. It doesn't matter what it did yesterday or really what it does weekly because I'm not investing for tomorrow. Like I'm investing for the tomorrow 17 years down the road. Yeah. But um, that, that would just be my, my one kind of like rule of thumb or, or two cents. Um, I see you flipping through your book over there. Yeah. You probably have some really cool slides or not that we can show you because it's in yeah. a PowerPoint presentation, but some notes that, that you brought with you. What are some things we haven't touched on that you want to make sure the audience takes away with them? Well, one of the things that, that I found very interesting, I was just at a conference last week where a person from the FTC was speaking on identity. And that's Federal that, Trade Commission. Yes, yeah, the okay. Federal Trade Commission. And one of the things, one of the statistics that they brought to the forefront that I found most interesting is the, the age group that is most reporting identity theft is 30 to 39 that nearly 26% 
sorry, slides small percent. Yeah. <laughs> it, the, the, the largest percentage of for identity theft was that. And we tend to think of older people mm-hmm. as being the victims of identity theft. And certainly there's some reporting bias in, in how that happens. Uh, but um, most people in the middle of their life, in the middle of their career, are, are not watching for that identity theft, and it's happening. Interesting. So you 30 to 39-year-olds, you top-of-the-class millennials, because that's what that is. Yeah. That is the upper echelon of the millennials. Those are the first-time homebuyers. Those are the people that are, that are starting to hit their stride in their career, trying, finally making what some would perceive as good money. Right? They maybe finally have six months reserve. You know what y'all have? You have something to lose. Right. You have you have established lose. that credit history that can be taken advantage of. Interesting. What are some other um, talking points, high high level topics when it, as it pertains to identity theft that maybe we could um, throw out there as a tie down, a takeaway, a rule of thumb that you would share with whether they're your students at Florida State or whether it's your children in 15 years as they enter into adulthood? Um, well, I, I have a tip for parents. Okay. Um, you're a parent. Yes. And I am as well. Um, children are the victim of identity theft quite commonly. Um, and they have a clean credits identity profile there. And they, um, synthetic identities based on children is, is one of the places where identity thieves are getting away with identity theft for the longest period of time, sometimes years and years at a time, because those, those kids aren't checking their credit. There are ways that parents can check credit for a child. Um, we've got some tips on our website, and I can send them over to you to include in, in this podcast material. No, what's the website? I, I don't have it oh, memorized. Oh, okay, no. gotcha. Okay. On, on our website, our website is cra.law. Yes. Yeah, correct. That, that's what I was getting at. If yeah. you went to cra.law and, and you fished around a little bit, maybe used the search bar, on that website, you have a hyperlink to another website. Yes. That I can actually go, especially like for, like my kids are in high school now. Right. So they're at that prime age. Maybe your youngest kid is, you know, maybe in VPK. Maybe they're not able to steal his or her info. But once they're 14, 15, 16, 17, and they're actually working their part-time jobs at Wendy's or Chick-fil-A or public supermarket, yeah. at that point, they're in the system. And when you do that, you're able to put a freeze on that credit report so that that, that will actively prevent that credit from being stolen. So th- that may be one of my, my towards the end of this um, episode, freezes. Yeah. Are you an advocate of, of having your information frozen until you need to unfreeze it? Well, I'll, I'll start with this. Freezes don't entirely prevent identity theft. Okay. Um, so it only prevents identity theft in situations where your credit is actually being pulled as part of the underwriting process, which obviously in mortgages happens a lot. Um, not so much on title loans, payday loans, and other things. So you can still be the victim of identity theft. You can't just freeze and forget it. But yes, freezes can be a very powerful tool to help stop um, identity th- uh, thieves from accessing your credit. I loved your answer because as, as I'm sitting there processing it, I can tell you as a creditor how annoying it is when I have a client yeah. with with a freeze, but I don't fault them for it, right? I'm like, hey, you know, good for you. But you made a valid point. Just because I have my stuff frozen, it doesn't mean I'm like out of the clear, right? Right. It just means that, okay, you've put up another defense, right? But you, you can still easily have someone swipe your information, especially if they're using your information to open accounts that don't require a credit pool. Right. 
Yeah. There, and there are a couple different variations on freezes um, and exactly um, what, what freeze is used in what situation. Um, but for vulnerable people, for children, for people with uh, mental handicaps, um, for even there's actually a freeze for people that are in active duty. Uh, you can freeze your credit when you're overseas so that you're, you're you know, in a situation where you can't monitor as closely. Uh, there are some additional protections. Very good. What else are we missing, Jared? So when you're dealing with identity theft, documentation is key. Uh, get that police report quickly. Include that police report when you deal with these companies and the credit reporting agencies. Actually dispute to the credit reporting agencies uh, because that makes a huge difference. They have obligations separate and apart from the banks and financial institutions that report the information. Um, but then finally, with that identity theft report, you can reach out to the accounts that are not yours and request a copy of the application and the other account data. And that can help you identify whether that is an account you forgot about or an account that is, is you're, you're actively being targeted on an identity theft. So these are all things that are being done by me. Yes. Do I have an opportunity to pay someone to do it for me? You certainly can pay um, for services uh, like credit monitoring, uh, LifeLock, and things of that nature. But uh, I can't pay for someone to contact all of those people and send the dispute letters. Um, no one's going to do it as effectively as you can. There are companies and, and services as part of um, you know some of that that can help with that. But you being hands-on is invaluable uh, if you ultimately have to come to me and we have to file a lawsuit over the issue. Yeah, because I'm only going to come to you when those credit reporting agencies or those creditors are not cooperating. That's when we can go to court. And yep. we, we might be able to help you before that point. We're always help, happy to help advise people that are going through that situation. But it's, it's not until you've taken the right steps uh, that, that we would you know, have to go to court. But I'm not going to call you because I want to personally go after the person who stole my information. No. They're more than likely not even in the United States. So is, that, is that a fair assessment? I don't know. I'm, I'm making a bold statement that my wife would be rolling her eyes right now if she saw me making it. So I want to clarify. I'm making a statement that I don't want to be factual. It just sounds good to me. So I'm saying it. My guess would be the bulk of these thieves are not even residing in the U.S. Certainly, there are a lot of thieves outside the United States. There are a lot of thieves inside the okay. United States as well. Um, and so um, I, identity theft, um, they're um, one of one of one of the sad facts about identity theft is that only like one in 600 or one in 700 identity theft reports results in a conviction. Oh, I would have to say it's probably the number one crime that pays. Yeah, I would just guess. Again, I'm guessing. Um, I am guessing. I mean, I know from talking again, my, my LEO friends, the law enforcement officers out there that you know, work tirelessly to prevent or, pro or, or, or to, to prevent crime or when crime is happening to actually stop it from happening again. And they talk about the war on drugs yeah. and how even that's comical because it's like, you know, they only capture 10 percent of the drugs that are coming in. Most are being shipped in UPS and FedEx. Most, if you're really smart and you're a drug dealer, you're doing the UPS guaranteed delivery by 10 a.m. Because that way, if it's not to the recipient's doorstep by 10 a.m. and it comes at 4 p.m. because it was confiscated and then it had to go to a judge who had to sign a warrant, oh, you don't accept it, right? I mean, that's the easiest trick that you know that drug dealers have figured out. Yeah. And and that's a one in ten. Yeah. And he's like, oh, one in ten. Those are good odds. 
right? If you told me I had a one in 10 chance of winning the lottery, I'm gonna give you a thousand dollars. I'm gonna buy a thousand dollars worth of tickets. Yeah. Um, and you're saying it's like one in 600. Yeah. Wow. That is nuts. Um, I appreciate your time. I really, really do. So the website, again, your website is www.cra.law. That's correct. Right? CRA.law. CRA and CRA stands for Consumer Rights Advocacy. They are the Consumer Rights Advocacy Firm. He is Jared Lee Esquire. I always loved that since I was a little kid, like Esquire. Um, not many people use it anymore, do they? Now, I mean, it's somewhat of an archaic term, but you will see ESQ for, for most of us in the profession. Yeah, and, and that just denotes that you are a practicing licensed attorney. That's correct. All right. And you're also an adjunct professor. Yes. But you're not Dr. Lee. I'm not Dr. Lee. Okay. Because yeah. in order to get doctorate, you have to go for your PhD. All you have a Juris Doctorate. Yeah, no, uh, JD, the Juris Doctorate does not result in, in us being uh, labeled doctor, and I'm okay with that. Okay. Yeah. So you're just Professor Lee at, at Florida State. Yes. Professor Lee or Jared Lee Esquire. Nonetheless, it's CRA.law. He's Jared. I'm Dustin Owen. I appreciate the heck out of you, your time, your expertise, and the fact that you're willing to come on and do another episode with us. That's all the time we have for you for this episode, but we will catch you on the next one. Peace.